tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Mac. Your name is Tony. Tell me your story, Tony. Uh, I live here at Burley Waters. I'm the other half of Diane you talked to before. So, yeah, we've lived here. Tides moved close to the kids and our family down this way. So I lived in Stanthorpe the last 25 years and central Queensland before that. So, What do you do with yourself in a place like this? Uh, we normally swim this time of morning. Uh, we walk down from North Burley to Burley, uh, about two k's along the beach, and swim back on the ocean. So I've started... Joining the Frozen Nuts are the name of the group who swim each morning. We've got to be a bit nutty to do that. But uh, What's the water temperature here? About 19 degrees at the moment. So, yeah, it's warmer in the water than out here on land. I think it's about 12 degrees out here this morning. So. Were you always a swimmer? Or? Yeah, I used to swim each morning in the pool in Stanthorpe, but the pool's only open for part of the year, so here I can swim all year round. So. I wonder it's not frozen. You have to break the ice in Stanthorpe. <laughs> Well, the monkeys sing soprano in around Stanthorpe in July, don't they? <laughs> That's what Penny and Roger tell me anyway, my neighbours in Stanthorpe. So I miss, I lived all my life in uh, little country towns and I miss a lot of that. I miss my cows, uh, talk to my cows a lot, but um, no, it's different, it's a big change to have neighbours and, you know, traffic lights and uh, hear sirens and so on. But no, it's, it's, it's a lovely community and Burley Heads is a lovely community here and, I'm involved in Rotary, so um, that's a good way to get into a new community and join a Rotary club and get active in the local community. Farmer in the pub, they love it all over Australia. There's a radio show that Australians all know. If you're rich or you ain't got a cracker, they tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it. Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. I will do. Good morning and welcome wherever you are. Cool around Australia for the last couple of days. Cool. It was about three degrees at my place the other day, but it's like just like a normal winter when I was a kid going to primary school, I remember. Cold, cold, maybe... Maybe the weather goes in circles and cycles. Who knows? Macca, the big red was always known as... But we were talking about the little red. Anyway, the big red was always known as Napa Narica, Sand Hill, and it was, until it was given the gimmick name of the big red by adventurer Dennis Bartell, who walked across the Simpson Desert in the 80s, says Ian. Thank you, Ian. I wonder what little red's name was. Morning, Macca. You need to visit the Mullumbimby Farmer's Market. That's on Friday, says Deborah. Uh, I don't think I have time. I'll have to be there earlier. I might. There's a place called in Mullum called The Other Joint. There's a, so I might be around out, uh, Thursday morning. How's that in Mullum? Thursday morning? I don't know. Nine or ten, something like that. That's all I can... You know when you're on the road, you get delayed, but... Yeah, I'm going to try and be in Mullumbimby on the way to Brisbane. We're going to Mount Cravat Show on the Sunday, next Sunday. We've had a couple of calls already this morning from people who are already there. Um, they got the Sunday wrong. But we'll be there next Sunday. But when you're on the road, yeah, I like to call in and see people. But anyway, so I'll, we'll be we'll try and be in Mullum um, next Thursday morning. Early-ish, nine, ten, have a cup of coffee, something like that. David King says, Macca and Kel, sending an email from Crookwall. Love the show and it's freezing cold to call you from a phone box. 
Oh, you're like the lady from Ireland. She described us all as wimpy. You're a bit, you're bordering on wimpy over there in Australia, she said, with a cold. <laughs> uh, as the other day, it was minus eight degrees. Well, that's, um, I sent an email back a year ago. Love the show. All the best is David. I sent it minus eight. That's getting fresh, isn't it? I'll say. Uh, uh, 1300 700 triple two. Um, we've already talked about eight. Um, all sorts of things this morning. It's eight o'clock. We've already talked about art this morning, um, but all sorts of things still to come. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. Good morning, Macca. Good morning. Calling from a phone box. <laughs> a phone In Yarraka, Queensland. And it's not minus eight, is it, Steve? Uh, it's chilly, mate. It's chilly, but it's not too bad. I'm I'm kind of from across New South Wales in the, the coast, and it's out here in Queensland. It's not chilly, no. What are you doing out there at Yarraka? What a lovely place. We're, I met a lovely lady in Yarraka years ago on the Variety Club Bash. It would have been 1988, I think, or seven. And we went through Yarraka and I met some lovely people in Yarraka. But that was. It is a lovely little place. We, we blew in here yesterday. There's a little campground uh, behind the school, <clears throat> excuse me, and had dinner at the pub last night. I think the population now is around 24 people, I think, roughly, and friendly. Yep, the publican was great. Everyone was friendly, and it was lovely atmosphere. They're great things to do in Australia, Steve. Going to a pub in a little country town, and there's lots of them, is nothing better, mate. Is it no- is great. No- they, they have this area here at the pub where they, you have tea and coffee, and the, and the man came over, the publican came over, I guess, and the tea and coffee's free. You can have tea and coffee all day free, and... Mm. There's there's a lounge area and it's like a social club. Well, that's what life should be like, Steve. Are you, it what, is. What are you on the Wallaby, just travelling around, having a good time, or more or less? This is our winter adventure. We try and get away during the winter from the coast out to west and have a look around and um, experience a bit of the western culture, which is which is usually great. It's my friends the, in the little phone box here is a standard sort of phone box. Yeah. And um, no graffiti here because I believe the crime rate is nil. Well, that's isn't that refreshing? It is. <laughs> As, listening to the news here, where there's cars burnt and people shot, and God help me. Um, my, I've got, I had some friends. I still have some friends. I think in Western Australia, we'll be going to Western Australia soon on the first opportunity. But um, they used to have a little group that travelled around. They used to call themselves the, the Thrill Seekers. Um, so that that might be a name you can give yourself a little moniker you'd call yourself, Steve, as you travel around the western districts. There, there was there was a group of little motorhomes that trundled in yesterday afternoon, and and they appeared to be all sort of travelling together, a little mm. group. Mm. There you go. People do it all, all the time. It's a wonderful thing to do. Um, but I think um, in a pub on Friday night down at the pub. If the if the food's not too bad, it's, it's it a great, nice. great night. And you meet all sorts of people too. It was lovely. Yeah. And they have a little museum here. The, the, at one time, the government of the day decided they were going to run the Great Western Railway across. Uh-huh. And it got to Yarraka and they ran out of money and will. And it's kind <laughs> of the end of the line. So they have a little station here with a, a museum. And and it, it's great. We had a wander over there yesterday and a look through and a, and a read. And it's a, it's a great little spot. Uh-huh. Sun shining, sky's blue, hardly any clouds, and we're just about to head out to the local lookout. At Yarraka? At Yarraka. 
All right. Well, How good, good's that, Macca? It's very, it's lovely. It's just very relaxing, even just talking to you, Steve and Yarika. I can just imagine. And thanks for, thanks for braving, unlike my last correspondent. <laughs> uh, well, I'm wandering around in my shorts, and people are sort of looking at me, and mm. and um, you know, it's lovely. There's but, a little shop. There's a little shop just mm. sort of up from where I am. It's an old shop, and they've got all these things on display at the front, and they've just left them out overnight. But it's a funny sort of shop because most of the things I see up there seem to have a sign on them free. Stevie, great to talk to you. Thank you. You too, Mac. And you you keep your program going because it's terrific. Good. I enjoy it very much. Thank you very much, mate. It's uh, lovely to talk to you this morning. Thanks, Macca. See ya. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, on the line, I've got Dave Alley, who I spoke to last week uh, when we were at uh, Burley. Um, and Dave's going to be kayaking down the Murray uh, in a couple of months. Uh, morning, Dave. Very good morning to you, Macca, and to all your listeners, wherever they may be, all over this great country of ours. Yes. Uh, Dave is going to start his kayak journey from Burrumbong Bridge um, uh, in November, isn't it, Dave? Is that right? It is, Macca. First of November is kicked off. Now, and we talked about it, all the, all the sorts of things, because Dave's cycled and run around Australia and broke records. But because I'd talked to you about it before, I didn't talk to you on Sunday about the, the Murray River, because that's, that's the main deal. Now, the Murray's been in flood for a long time. It's probably not in flood now, but what's, you've been, I, I'm sure, examining the Murray. What's the state of the Murray for you when you're kayaking, Dave? Yeah, look, Macca, for me, um, this is very weather dependent, this trip. And, and with the Murray at the moment, there is some in, in the, the lower sections. It is in minor flood at the moment, uh, which is actually a good thing for me. So <laughs> if it stays how it is at the moment, it will be quite helpful to me because mm. um, the outcome of the trip is very much dependent on the flows and, and that uh, that's how it is at the moment. So I'm looking for... For the people listening down there, if they can uh, get some more snow for me and also some more rain for the next six weeks or so, they'd be much appreciated. Yeah, it's been, I think it's been, we had a call this morning from, uh, I forget, who was it? Uh, was it Rob? No, it was, it doesn't matter. Um, but they were they were going down to uh, the snow and uh, it's been an average season, I think, for snow. Not a lot of snow, but you never know what's around the corner, do you? No, that's right, Macca. And, and um, look, as you said, it's been um, a couple of big flood years for the Murray and uh, a lot more water than they expected down there. But this year, it seems to have gone back much to more a, a traditional season. So we'll see how we go. But, yes, look, I'm, I'm hoping for, for more snow and more rain. Um, so that comes down from the Australian Alps into the Murray itself and will certainly speed up the trip for me. Yeah, and uh, and just tell people what you've got to do. You've got to do um, uh, to break the record, which is held by who? Uh, the record's held by a gentleman by the name of David Armitage, who broke the record in 1993. Mm. And um, interestingly enough, the last double flood year down on the Murray was in 92 and 93. So we've just had that in the last couple of years down there. So to do it, it's a 2,368-kilometre trip, uh, 16 days, 6 hours and 58 minutes, mm. which equates to uh, approximately 145 kilometres a day of, of kayaking down the Murray. And the faster the Murray flows, the better for you, right? Absolutely, yes, yes. So the, traditionally down there, you're looking at about a 2 to 3 kilometre an hour 
um, assistance as you as you head down the Murray. Um, anything greater than that, obviously, is going to assist me to get down there um, as fast as possible. All right. Well, good luck, Dave. Um, I just wanted to talk about because I'd forgotten because I'd talked to you before about the Murray, but I wanted you to let people know about the Murray. But good luck. Keep in touch, mate. Thanks very much, Macca. Have a good morning. Good on you, mate. Bye. Good morning and welcome. Uh, in my studio this morning, I have Terry Hurrigan. Is that the right pronunciation, that, that's Terry? That's the right pr- pronunciation, and it is uh, an Irish name. It is an Irish name. Yeah. An Irish. And Daniel, Daniel Lillycrab. G'day, Daniel. G'day. How you going, Macca? Uh, you did something really wonderful yesterday, didn't you? You Ooh. went on the USS Canberra. Is that right? That's correct. Tell us. Oh, there you go. A booklet. Yep. Uh, it's an amazing... I saw that photo... Oh, a month ago, and I thought, wow, what is that? That's a, a new age boat. What was that like? How come, uh, Terry, first, how come you got an invite to get on the Canberra? Um, 30, uh, 63 years ago, mm. I was I was born in Canberra, mm. and I was a Queen Scout, mm. and they selected two Queen Scouts to go on the, on the first USS Canberra, mm. and it travelled from Sydney to Melbourne, and they uh, shot off uh, the guided missile um, to demonstrate to the Australian government the capabilities of uh, guided missiles. Right. So, yeah, it 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 was a great trip. And what was it like? So there's been a couple of USS Canberra's, hasn't there? No, this is only the second one. The second, that's what I mean, a couple. There's been a couple, yeah. yeah. The, yes. the one, the current one and yeah. the one before. And, of course, there's the HMAS Canberra. And this, uh, the uh, commemoration ceremony yesterday was the first time there'd been a, uh, a commemoration launch for an American ship in a foreign country. The first, and, and it's the only, only boat named after a foreign capital. Is that right? Yeah, the yes. American boat. Yes. 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 What was it like? What's it like? What was it like on on board, uh, uh, Daniel? It's uh, when when you see it in the photos there, you you don't get a, an appreciation no. of the size of it. Uh, you, you you show up and um, uh, and you, HMAS Canberra was parked right behind it, and it, it's just a massive uh, ship. Got a, a really large uh, helicopter pad at the back, and uh, it was it was just great to get on board and meet the crew, and and they were. Um, Really delightful in, in showing around, and um, uh, they're always very friendly, aren't they? And and it's like the Australian Army and people in the army, they're taught to be, yeah, considerate and well mannered and mm. all those sort of things. They're just very nice, <coughs> a bit like Elvis Presley. Always, Elvis Presley always said, "Thank you, sir. Thank you, mm. ma'am." Yeah. Always very, yeah. very polite. Loved it. Mm. Loved it. No, they looked after yeah. us really well. Uh, and uh, they love they, they they really love Australians like you you wouldn't believe. Of course, we're yeah. the only ones that are halfway nice to the Americans because <laughs> it's it's very trendy to be to hate the Americans. But yes. I, don't, I don't hate them at all. I think they're wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. people. Is one when I see people talking um, Americans talking like Robert Kennedy Jr. or um, you know um, who did I see the other day? You know the piano player singer. Doesn't matter. Well, um, they're, they're, the Kennedys were mentioned uh, in in the speeches that because, they gave yesterday. Because uh, JFK's daughter, yes, is, Caroline, was Caroline there is and, the um, ambassador. She was, yes, yeah, spoke, she was, spoke really well. Yes, exactly. Um, what was I going to mention to you? When you look at the boat, is it a trimaran or a catamaran or something? Trimaran, I believe. Yeah. So underneath, it doesn't look. It, it's, 
I almost thought it was built to look like that big, so that they couldn't, the Chinese couldn't steal any, because <laughs> it's just like a big bulky pointy thing, and you can't see, and there's no guns on. Well, you can't see anything well, from. There, there is a gun. Yeah, oh, is there? <laughs> and there's a couple of guided missiles. Yeah, I'm sure there but, is, but you don't see them. No, you can't yeah. see anything. It's all. Yeah. It's all below decks, as they say in the yeah. Navy parlance. I think I think it's a uh, trimaran for the speed. Um, I think they were saying it could do uh, at least 40 knots. Wow. So, uh, it, yeah, it's built for speed. Yes, exactly. Isn't that fantastic? So where did you... you that that happened at... Uh, at Gard- Garden Island. Garden Island, the naval yes. base. Yes. Um, and then what? where did you go? Went out through the heads and did some donuts out there? And- <laughs> we, no, we asked. No, I, I asked to take the ship for a spin around the... <laughs> The harbour, and they said, "Sorry, <laughs> I wanted to see what it could do." And they they said, "No, I can't do that." No, can't do that. Yeah, there you yeah. go. In my studio this morning. Good morning, everybody. Thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. In the studio this morning, I have Terry Hurrigan and Daniel Lillycrap. They were yesterday had the privilege of being on board the USS Canberra, the only American ship to be named after a foreign capital or city or town or whatever and they were on board there they're my guests this morning good morning, good morning uh, and terry uh, has given me a, a look at this book uh, the commissioning of the uss canberra which took place yesterday in sydney july the 22nd and it's got the the list of the people on board but apart from the captain william ashley uh, there's the operations department there's the combat systems department the engineering department the supply department meet the canberra crew there's a little doggins there beautiful well um, there's uh, actually yeah, two two crews there uh, macca they've got the the gold crew and the uh, and the blue crew and well, uh, is this like the A team and the B team? Uh, I think they're they're both pretty equal, but um, uh, they probably have a bit of banter between them yeah. uh, when they switch over. Um, but yeah, uh, I think one crew was lucky enough to get the Australia trip this time, and uh, but yeah, they they seem like they um, get along with each other quite well. And as you said, they love coming to Australia. They love Australia, and we love them. Well, I certainly do. Yeah. Terry, um, you met uh, the captain. Is that right? I, I met the captain and the executive officer. That's um, it says here. Commander William Ashley is yeah. the commanding officer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, Nicholas Edmonds Edmiston Edmiston, um, commander. He's the executive officer. Yeah. Yeah. And I what? I um, make boards. Uh, decorative boards that I call timber art, and I presented the two boards to uh, one to the captain and one to the executive officer for use in the boardroom. Uh huh. There you uh, go. The wardroom. Yeah. What a great experience for you both to be there on that boat. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this is a, this little. It's a. It's a, it's the sort of booklet you get, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to a big show at the opera or a play or something. It's a yeah. a glossy book, and this this Canberra is just fantastic. But as I say, this when I look at this ship, it is uh, it's fantastic looking thing um, up there. Did you go up in the bridge? And, oh yes, uh, we did. Yes, there yeah. is there is fifteen of them mm. of, of that of that. Class. I was going to ask that actually, but I forgot because I haven't written anything down. But yeah, they're fifteen. Um, what are they called? They're a they're a like, literal combat ship. I think LCS. Yeah, yeah, literal combats, and they're and they're pretty powerful, aren't they? Got lots of armament and. They, as you say, they get along forty knots. That's yes, that's yeah. screaming, isn't it? They they do chew a lot of uh, diesel. But mm. They had to re uh, refuel 
on the it, way out here. And it's interesting, isn't it, to note <coughs> that there's uh, um, operations, uh, Navy operations off the coast up uh, further on the Chinese ship is sort of monitoring them, the spy, yeah. the spy <laughs> ship. And, oh dear, that, that got a mention yesterday too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know about anybody else. It makes me feel uh, a bit more secure when I see the American Navy here. Uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Because uh, we live in a very unstable world. Mm. And uh, as much as we might like to think we're independent of everybody else and some politicians and ex-politicians will tell us how we're wonderful and we're just mm. independent of the world, but nobody's independent these days. Oh, it's always the, good to have mates like uh, the Americans. Yeah, so, I reckon yeah. too. I reckon too. There was a lot of Australian Navy there yesterday and I, I've i got a lot of faith in them. You know, the way they... Uh, oh, always. Yeah. Great, great people. Great people. Terry Hurrigan and... Uh, uh, Daniel Lillycrap, nice to... T- Where do you live, Daniel? Uh, in Canberra as well. In yeah. Canberra. And Terry, you're the same? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Warramanga. Warramanga. And and the the ship Warramanga was at, uh, at the docks yesterday. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, great to talk to you. You'll have your book back because it's... No, lovely... no, no, you can keep that. Oh, can I? Yes. Yeah. You'll enjoy that. I'll say. It's a lovely, lovely book. I'm going to take you to Paris right now, kids. I'm in the Sydney suburb of Oatley. I'm talking to my friend Leslie, who's just returned recently from France, Paris particularly. And as you do, Leslie's an optometrist. And as you do when you travel to parts unknown, I suspect you seek out people in your trade or profession or business or whatever just to see how the other half live. Leslie's, as I said, been in Paris where her daughter lives and works. But she's got a, this is a story about tennis. You found yourself in an optometrist in Paris. Leslie, good morning. Welcome. Yes, good morning, Ian. I was visiting an optometry practice in Paris. The 5th arrondissement, is that right? In the 5th arrondissement, yes. (laughs) Optometrists only work in with ophthalmologists, so I have to be corrected, say I was visiting the optician. And your daughter lives and works in Paris. Yes. And she's a tennis player. Now tell tell me about Paris and tennis. Well, in Paris, you usually have to be in a tennis club to play tennis regularly. It's very hard to be able to go to a local court. Not like around in the suburbs in all the cities where there's plenty of, you just go to the council and book the courts and away you go. No, you have to book months in advance to get a court. And you have be in a club particularly. And you have to be in a club to have regular tennis matches. Anyway, you got talking to the optician. Yes, I was telling him that my daughter had been working at Roland Garros and she would like to become a member of a tennis club. And he said that he was a member of a tennis club and he gave me the name of that tennis club and the address so that my daughter would, if she wanted to, be able to contact the members of the club to see if she would be able to play in their club. Maybe that's why there's not a lot of famous French tennis players. And I suppose if there's not a lot of courts around or it's hard to play, they look for something else. Yes, it's rather an elite sport in 
France. Mm. So you have to be able to pay the membership fees for the tennis club as well as having regular matches there to improve your game. What was your daughter doing at Roland Garros? My daughter does the media and communications which links up the tennis players with the different media teams from around the world. And she was the number one media person there and coordinating the media for Roland Garros and she's an Aussie girl (laughs) who was there in charge of the French people. And she's going to be also working in France for the World Cup for the rugby. Oh, right. That's on soon, isn't it? Yes. So she'll be right there going from match to match in France, linking up the media teams with the rugby players. What's her name? Penelope. And how was Paris generally? How did you like being in Paris? I loved being in Paris. The food, atmosphere, culture, the fashion, it's all wonderful. (laughs) And the optician, how was the language barrier? I found that most young French people, say under the age of 40, they speak English very well. If you make some attempt to speak a little bit of French and they can understand that you're struggling then they speak to you in English. English is the world language, really, isn't it? It is now, yes, Mm. even in France. How long has your daughter lived in Paris? Four years. Good. She absolutely loves it. Leslie, lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Wonderful speaking with you, Ian. Is that who I think it is on the line? Good morning. It's Ken here. Kenny Rosewall. (laughs) That's right, mate. How are you doing? Oh, Mate, it's such a uh, what a pleasure to. How are you, mate? How are you? Where are you? Where, where do you live these days? Well, um, I'm a regular listener, as you know, uh, and uh, I just happened to be listening this morning again uh, when the uh, lady was talking about a daughter playing or at the French Open, the Roland Garros tour- tournament, and then the next thing is you played Don Spencer's song. Yeah, about uh, you. It's a lovely song, and it was. <laughs> and I just thought about it because um, uh, uh, Leslie's a local optometrist, and um, she was yes. telling me about her daughter, who's who does the who did all the publicity for um, for uh, the right. French Open, right? And and the reason she's yeah. she's got the gig is because she speaks fluent French and fluent Australian. Right. And and right. now now she's got the gig for the Rugby World Cup because again she speaks because that's going to be held yeah. in France so um so there you right. go and I was thinking about yeah. uh, uh, was it called Roland Garros in your day or was it just called the French Open oh, yeah. wasn't it Yeah Roland Roland Garros was uh, after some famous Frenchman I think when, <laughs> when the centre was built <laughs> and the interesting thing she said to me because she said um, that her daughter had. Uh, wanted to play tennis because she likes to play tennis, but um, you've got to belong to a club, really. Um, yeah. In, mm. And she said it's almost, she said it's an elite sport in, in France. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I, I think she, she having lived there for some, uh, you know, a few years, I mean, she would have learnt the system and uh, yeah. I'm sure that's right. There's a lot of private clubs, beautiful clubs, but not, not very many public courts like what, what we have out here no and and especially in in your day in my day there was a there was a court in in every street every street yeah, that's right. and that's that's why we had the Jan you know, that's why we had the Jan Lahanes and the Leslie Turners and the Margaret Courts and yeah. the Yvonne Gurlagongs and the Kenny Rosals and the and the Rod Lavers and the Roy Emersons and the yeah and the and, uh, it just well, goes a lot on of those people you mentioned came from the country too uh 
Okay, you know, I mean, the country chance was very strong, and uh, a lot of our leading players came from the came from the bush. Yes, exactly. Well, it was a, it was a great yeah. social event, wasn't it? Tennis. Yep. Oh yeah, there were public tennis courts everywhere in in those days. But anyway, that's that's changed. But uh, yeah, I miss uh, St George in a way. But we've, I've been up here five years, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I lost Wilma three and a bit years ago. Uh, she passed away, and uh, so I'm here at uh, near Coolangatta. We've moved from Sydney when we sold our house. It was too big for two of us. So we've been up here five years. We've got family in Brisbane and get up there occasionally, and uh, my second son is living with me here in uh, at Coolangatta. And I, uh, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, I used to, <coughs> you know, and I still go to a, a, a fish cafe uh, in Sydney here, and I walked in one evening, and Claude said to me, he said, "Guess who's sitting over there?" I said, "Who?" He said, "Kenny Rosal." <laughs> and and every other, you know, not every <laughs> once every six months or something, I'd bump into you there, um, having yeah, a, having right. fish and chips. We miss you, I'm sure. Claude yep. misses you, and we all miss you, Ken. Yeah, well, I miss getting there too. I miss uh, seeing parts of Sydney, especially Illawarra, where I grew up, and and that good you, memories. You went to South Hurstville Public, didn't you? I was there for my last year in primary school. Then I went to Cogra for the three years of high school. That's right, a Cogra high, a Cogra high school boy, just like me. Yep. <laughs> so, anyway, so it's good to listen to you, and uh, usually do it most most every Sunday. So it's, uh, keep well and and good luck. Yeah, thank you, Ken. What did you think of the uh, the the tennis, to, uh, Wimbledon, and things? Well, it's always a great event, there's no doubt about it. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't see too much of it on on the television. Uh, uh, it comes on pretty late, and uh, I'm, I'm not a late person. <laughs> so I missed any of the replays and missed, the, missed, missed a lot of it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, a lot of other people that saw it, uh, they, they said it was a great men's final, and uh, that young Spanish boy is, is very good. He's going to take... Take some, uh, you know, good reputation following Nadal and Roger Federer and Djokovic. Uh, but Djokovic is still very strong. He's a great player, mm. and uh, he's he's likely to win another major of two if he stays fit and healthy. Yeah, just like you, who who won when you were nineteen or whatever, and and then you're still winning. I think in what <laughs> when you were forty or something, thirty nine or forty. Well, I got to the finals of Queens uh, of. Uh, the U.S. Open and Wimbledon when I was 39. So that was that was my swan song, just about. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kenny <laughs> Rosal. Senior turns after that, but any, anyway. Well, but, well, uh, Don Spencer's song about you is a lovely song, and um, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, all Australians will be just thrilled to hear your voice, Kenny, and know that you are you you're keeping well. Yeah, pretty good. I've had a few skin things, like most uh, yeah. older tennis players. So much time in the sun in the early days, but uh, anyway, no, pretty good. Yeah, Kenny, just tell me this: that uh, when you were playing Wimbledon or those championships, is it true that you you couldn't sit down and you know, take it easy and stuff <laughs> is, between sets? What was the story with all that? Yeah. Oh well, that was the rule and regulations at that time. You know, I mean, the, the, it was the game was continuous, and that was before television made a big impact with it 
commercials and, and advertising and that. But uh, so yeah, you, when you played in any, any any of the tennis events all over the place, uh, you basically uh, had to uh, you know change ends. You didn't sit down for for a, and have a, a minute and ha- or two minutes ha- or whatever. Have a drink and uh, stuff like that. And there was no toilet breaks. And uh, wow, my father always said to me, "Don't don't drink too much water when you go on the court because you know you can't come off the court." <laughs> Uh, so, so anyway, and what about uh, what about in those those games where you know you won eighteen sixteen? A set went, you know, they went they went forever, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, they went 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 forever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, the matches were a bit bit shorter then. I think the the, the rallies were uh, the way the game is played now, and the equipment and everything else. It's uh, it's just ideal for the baseline players. Uh, so you, you don't see quite as much as as any serve and volley like you might have seen some years ago on the grass courts. And the ball's a bit more spongy, I think, and, and they're, they're made for having long baseline rallies. That's, that's why the matches are so long these days. So, but you couldn't, real... you, in your day, you couldn't sit down and have a drink and rub no. yourself. Yeah, that's um, up the other end and away you go again. God help me. No, no, there was no sitting down. No, that's right. That's why you're a fit young fella, Kenny Rosewell. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> You've always... Yeah. You've always been a fit fellow. Ken, it's great to see, great to see you. Next time yeah. I'm on the Gold Coast, I'll call in and see you, okay? Okay, that'd be terrific. Yeah, yeah. We'll, go and, we'll go and have fish and chips. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good. All the best. Keep well. Thank you. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, news from all over, from mostly from you, our correspondents. And for some time now, I've believed that coffee grounds are good for the garden. But my correspondent, Don Radford, says this. He said, Ian, last week's discussion on coffee grounds being used as a plant fertiliser, by coincidence, I came across the attached article dealing with the subject. Apparently, it's not all benefit for plants from coffee grounds, although the nitrogen content is undeniable. Work done on this dates back to at least 1980, according to the article, which claims it is well established that even well-brewed coffee grounds contain not just nitrogen, but also significant amounts of caffeine, which is a herbicide. In evolutionary terms, this makes sense, as no creatures or plants waste energy producing unnecessary compounds. In the case of coffee, caffeine from fallen beans leaches into the soil and suppresses other plants nearby, thus allowing better access to light and nutrients for the coffee plant. It seems that as gardeners, it behoves us to use coffee grounds sparingly to gain the nitrogen but avoid the caffeine. Don says, I wonder if the rats are attracted to the grounds to have their daily fix because people reported rats around the coffee grounds that people were sprinkling in their gardens. And that article that Don Radford refers to was in New Scientist, June 2023 by James Wong. And the title is Debunking Gardening Myths, Hold the Coffee. I will be using coffee grounds very sparingly. I think ash is the best. If you've got any ash, very good for the garden. And this from Grant. He says, Ian, I'm 60 and working in a job that requires a lot of manual labour, which requires me to be fit and healthy. How am I supposed to do this at the age of 70? That's the age I will be when I'm eligible for the pension. In my train of thought, the earlier we can afford to retire, the more good jobs there will be for the younger generation. 
70, says Grant, is a ridiculous age to expect people to work till. Imagine telling the French they had to work till 70. They'd be in the streets, wouldn't they? I feel there should be more awareness of this and the major parties should tell us where they stand. But could you imagine a party speaking on a subject that is unpopular? And they wonder why politicians are held in low regard, says Grant. Well, some people work well past 70, Grant, but you're exactly right. Physical, hard physical labour is a tough gig. As the builder said to me, and he was 60 in Mackay when I met him, he said, I'm just about to give up, Ian. This is too hard, especially in the hot sun of Queensland. This is the All Over News. A few stories about missing airmen in World War II. Firstly, from Rowan Goyne, he says, I'm writing today, that's last Thursday, on the 80th anniversary of the death of my uncle, Alan Goyne, while undergoing advanced pilot training out of number one air training school, Sale, Victoria. Early in the morning on the 19th of July, 1943, he, together with his co-pilot Ian Gumley, also from Tasmania, took off with one other aircraft to undertake close formation flying. Unfortunately, sometime soon after takeoff, the two aircraft touched wings and both planes crashed to the ground. More people died in training for the RAAF in Australia than fighting in the Pacific War. The 22,000 Australians who trained as part of the Empire Air Training Scheme played an invaluable part in defeating the Nazi state as part of Bomber Command. Their efforts go largely unnoticed, says Rowan. My uncle and his three comrades gave their lives for our future. So today, it's last Thursday, my daughter Marid and I laid a wreath at the last post-ceremony at the Australian War Memorial in recognition of their sacrifice. Lest we forget, says Rowan Goyne, who's a recreational historian. And along the same lines from Rob Hanna, I'm hoping you might assist me through your Sunday program to contact members of the McFadden family of a World War II RAAF airman who went missing in action, presumed killed in World War II. Flight Sergeant Oscar McFadden was a wireless operator on an RAF Lancaster bomber that was listed as missing in action on a bombing raid over Europe, 27th of May, 1944. His bomber of RAF Squadron 166 was one of two aircraft that failed to return from that operation. Oscar and his family lived in Bay Street Botany in Sydney, yet his name is missing from the local Botany War Memorial. His family are no longer in the Botany area. As a local amateur historian, I noticed that his name was missing from our local memorial earlier this year. I'm attempting to have his name added with the assistance of the local Botany RSL sub-branch and Bayside Council. I thought it would be appropriate if a family member or members could be involved in this matter and to be present if and when we have a ceremony to have his name added to the memorial. Missing in action and missing from our local war memorial even though his name is on the commemorative wall at the Australian War Memorial in Canberra and the Runnymede War Memorial in England. Hoping you can assist me with this matter, says Rob Hanna, President of the Botany Historical Trust. Missing in action, Flight Sergeant Oscar McFadden. The built environment, that's where you live and I live, in the towns and cities and hamlets across Australia, has never been under more scrutiny. Are they good places to live, apart from floods and bushfires? Do the places where we live improve our well-being, for instance? I was interested the other day to meet town planner Stephen Timms. I'm in Grafton. I'm talking to Steve Timms in the main street. Lovely, beautiful morning, beautiful day, beautiful Grafton in winter. Always is in Grafton. Yeah, this time of year especially. It's beautiful. What do you do, Steve? Uh, I'm a town planner. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's very important now, isn't it? Uh, it is, actually, yeah. yeah. People underrate, I guess, the importance of placemaking and making great places in cities and 
um, providing enough housing and business and, and all the rest of it. So we do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that mm. people don't notice, but it's important. Yeah, it is. I think people are much more interested in art in the streets and sculptures and all those <laughs> sort of things. It's part of the whole deal, isn't it, really? Well, it is, yeah. Actually, yeah, it's funny to say that. It's sort of what we've done here in Grafton is um, added a lot of art and planter boxes and landscaping things you can physically see. Mm. Um, but behind it all is good ideas about making a better place that people want to spend more time in. Mm. Um, and it's just one of the examples of things that Council's doing uh, well in, Gra- in the Grafton, the Clarence Valley. How did you get into town planning? I guess interest in geography right from sort of high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wanted to travel the world and learn more about everything. So geography sort of led me into urban and regional planning, which seemed to offer a bit of everything. It's a toss-up between sort of surveying or town planning and architecture and that sort of stuff, and planning sort of offered all of that. bit of inside work, bit of outside work, meeting lots of people and just shaping, shaping places and shaping cities, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a bit like architecture with um, soul in lots of ways, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is, it is, yeah. Great quote from um, Seinfeld. I think it was a new middle. One of the guys said, "Uh, why would you want to plan a building when you can plan a whole city? So (laughs) be a town planner. (laughs) And so where have you worked? Have you been overseas and doing... Yeah, I grew up here in the Clarence Valley and then in Sydney and a few places around there, Central Coast, and then went over over the UK. Worked around London for seven or eight years or so and met a Kiwi girl, moved down to New Zealand just in time for the earthquakes in Christchurch and got there a few months before that and then we were just going to go there for a little while um, but the earthquakes happened and stuck around for about seven or so years and worked with um, government over there. Doing uh, the same sort of thing with... I mean, yeah. they've got problems there, haven't yeah, they? Well, they do, yeah. It's mm. taken a long time to get things sorted but we are over there at Christmas time. It's amazing, Christchurch. Mm. Um, Central City's finally starting to get going. Um, but but yeah. you never know when there's another earthquake around the corner, do you? No, well, true, yeah, or some other disaster. got smashed by floods in the North Island this year and, and other places. But they changed all the building regulations and, and the planning as well. There, there was some bad planning went into that. They, they knew about earthquakes and impacts of liquefaction and things before it all happened. But, you know, developers got a bit greedy and bad decisions were made. But they've, they've stopped all that, which is good. It could happen again, but they've, they've built the structures in a way that, yeah, they won't fall down um, and there's not quite so much to worry about. And that, that's given everyone confidence to invest in the central city over there, which is great to see. But, yeah, same thing here. We, we, we do it as well. Bushfires and, and floods. Yeah, we, we keep building in the same place and expecting a different result. But I think, I'm not sure, Grafton last time, the last flood, wasn't impacted as much as it has been in the past. Uh, the city, no, yeah. it hasn't been inside the levee wall here since about 67. But the rural areas, the farmers got hit pretty bad. And, and places like Omara and, and Down River as well. The, the floods in, in, the rainfall in Yamba was about a one, between a 1 in 200, 1 in 500 year rain event. So it was pretty significant. And it was just the rainfall more than the river flooding that, that hit people in Yamba and, and McLean and places like that. All over the place. Yeah, it was, yeah. People about the back of Elmira had never seen anything like it before. It was just phenomenal. And water rushing in from the back from the cold stream um, rather than the Clarence itself. And it scared people. Some people, it was amazing. But yeah, Grafton's been lucky so far. It's and a nice town, Grafton. Oh, it's beautiful. Heritage, the wide streets, yeah, and the people. People are great. So, and Can you the... pick Grafton for, for that reason? or? Uh, well, family, really. Yeah, yeah. Moved, moved back home, basically, yeah. 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 Took over a big property and um, yeah, built a house and did a few things. It was Yeah, it's good fun. But town planners, I would say, are really in demand. More and more people, you've got to think about what your city or your town looks like. Yeah, that's right. And how and, and easy it is to get around and all that sort of well, thing. Well, that's it, yeah. And then community expectations keep changing all the time too. And they, they expect to be able to get around easy or not to have a huge building built next to them or and, and all about sustainability and, and what everyone wants to talk about. So it's trying to, trying to find that balance and get the right outcome for everyone. Housing pressures is probably the biggest topic for planners at the moment um, that we're dealing with across the state. 
probably more pronounced in Sydney, but it's still here in Grafton, believe it or not. Yeah, the prices have gone through the roof. Rental, you just cannot find anything. So it's, it's pretty tough for people that are, are not earning as much as, as everyone else. So. Steve, it's great to talk to you. Nice to meet you here in Grafton. Wonderful to meet you, yeah. Yeah, I've been listening to her a long time. Out overseas as well, we listened to you. And my wife rang up from New Zealand, I think, when I was over there for my birthday one time. Oh, really? Yeah, I asked, asked you to give me a shout-out for my birthday, and you're on, on air. You said, no, no, sorry, Rachel, I can't do that. I can't, can't wish Stephen a happy birthday. <laughs> it was quite well done. <laughs> well, good on you, mate. Nice to meet you, Steve. You too. Thanks, Megan. And things on around the place, diggers and dealers. Australia's premier international mining conference will be held in Kalgoorlie from Monday the 7th to Wednesday the 9th of August. The conference is fully booked and accommodation in Kalgoorlie has been booked out for months. And just like other places when something's on, like Tamworth, the price of motels in Kalgoorlie has doubled since last year and is now around $480 a night. Anybody who's anybody will be at the Diggers and Dealers, a mining investment forum in Kalgoorlie. And from Kalgoorlie to Canberra, Anne McDowell would like you to know that there's a live webinar about scams and delivered by the eSafety Commission held at 3 o'clock next Thursday, the 27th, at Holy Covenant Anglican Church, Dexter Street, Cook. It's all about common scams, including the latest tax scams, Medicare scams, tips on how to spot them and what to do and what not to do and where to go for help should be held all around Australia. But the thing is, don't get on there in the first place if you can help it. Beware. And especially, don't give out your PIN number. Next Thursday, 27th, Holy Covenant Anglican Church, Dexter Street, Cook. And from Richard Whittaker, our weather correspondent, he says, Ian, just over 30 years ago, Australian businessman and entrepreneur Dick Smith, accompanied by balloonist John Wallington, became the first men to fly a hot air balloon across the Australian continent. The balloon was called the Australian Geographic Flyer and used the general west-to-east movement of the upper air to complete the flight that extended from Carnarvon in Western Australia to Tabulum in northern New South Wales. Close liaison with the Bureau of Meteorology was maintained throughout the flight and that balloon travelled over 3,800 k's in just over 40 hours, attaining an average speed of around 95 k's an hour, but peak velocities near 160 were recorded. The balloon also reached altitudes close to 5.5 k's at various times during the flight. 30 years ago, June 1993. Be cold up there. My name's John. G'day, John. Um, I uh, wondered if you know that Qantas uh, is inviting the Australian people to name their new aeroplanes. All right. No, I didn't They're know They're going that. to get um, 29 new planes over uh, the next um, 12 or 18 months, and uh, they are inviting Australia to name their aircraft um, on Australian wildlife. Oh, right. Now, currently, Australia, uh, Qantas has aircraft named after places, uh, cities, and famous people, mm. but uh, they'd like their new ones, the A220s, A220s. to be named after uh, Australian wildlife. Right. So if you go onto the website and it's Qantas, name the A220s, um, you can submit six names for uh, to be put on these new aircraft. Well, I've, I've got uh, my six already, I can tell you. Uh, mine would be the Pardalote, uh, that'll do, spotted Pardalote, one be one. Um, the Western Spinebill, um, that'll be another one. Um, I'll put my six names in. Um, <laughs> the Pacific Blue Eye, which is a lovely little native fish, which I've got in my pond. I think I've still got them if they haven't frozen to death, John. 
Um, but that's a start anyway. That's a great idea. A2-20s. Is that A2-20s, that's uh-huh. right. Um, uh, I, uh, I love you, Macca, because my <laughs> first choice was the puddle oat. Oh, really? There you, yes. go. There you go. Uh, little little <coughs> little native birds that are under the pump because there's too many uh, little ravens, which some people call crows, and too many currawongs and kookaburras and... God help me, um, but none of those little birds, which is so delightful, and and little blue wrens—they're just so delightful little birds. And and Australia, you're losing them. I'm telling you, yes. you're losing them because there's no there's nowhere for them to live. Our suburbs are being infilled and paved, and yeah. But that's the yes. that's the plan, apparently, John. John, where are you calling from? Sighton Park in South Australia. All right, cool there. Um, mild. Come on, tell me what's mild. This will be good. This will be, <laughs> oh. be, be good, kids. Come on, what's less mild? Less than 10. <laughs> That's not mild. Mild's about 20. That's what mild is, mate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, th- I think. <clears throat> excuse me. Thanks for letting everyone know, John. People will do that. I think that's a great idea. And, uh, um, yes, you'll always, the Qantas sh- should know, and I think they would know, that um, you'll get the best ideas from the uh, from the everyday Australians. They'll have Indeed. some good yes. ideas. All right. Good on you, Johnny. Uh, Thank fr- you, Nick. From Mild Summerton Park. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you, mate. Bye. <whistles> Dell's in Monto. Morning, Dell. Oh, good morning, Macca. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank um, you. I was just, you were talking last week about the Vietnam Veterans Vigil. I just wanted to let everyone know that we're having a service here in Monto for my brother, Philip Goody, mm. who was killed in Vietnam on the 1st of May, 1970. So um, we're doing a service, yeah, on behalf of the government. And, yeah, it'll be at the same time. It's it's 10.30 for uh, the service actually starts at 11 o'clock at the cemetery. Um, we had a hmm. we had a call. Uh, we yeah we had a call from Anita in Bulgaria this morning. Who's with her, yeah. the under twenty three <laughs> throwing time? I said, "Where are you from?" She said, "Monto." Uh, I know. <laughs> I, I work with Anita. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Small world, yeah, isn't it? Isn't that yeah, nice? It is a small world. So that, that's the VVV. We call it. It's the Vietnam yeah. Veterans Vigil, and I'll mm-hmm. talk more about it next week too when we're at Mount Gravatt next Sunday yeah. morning. But um, um, was your uh, brother was it your brother your son your brother yeah. no brother yeah and, he was and, a Nasho he was uh, Nasho I was going to ask that was he regular on Nasho yeah, yeah. Mm. and um, he was in 8th Battalion D Company and he was killed in Fork Tree Province and his platoon sergeant Peter Buckney is travelling up from Melbourne to conduct the service Isn't and there'll lovely. be some of his uh, yeah and there'll be some of his mates from 8 Ra we keep in touch with them all the time I've just been down to Melbourne for the Eight Rar reunion for Anzac Day this year, so it was wonderful, and I took his flag down and marched with his mates, and yeah, so it's just wonderful to sort of keep in touch. You feel like you still have a part of him, you know, when you, um, you know, connect with his mates. Mm. Del, yeah. uh, the wonderful things that people say here on Sunday morning. Um, yeah. Look, I think that's a, a wonderful thing all around Australia. For those who don't know, it's it's. I base it's almost like a coming home, I think, for in lots of ways because yeah. the Vietnam War was a very divisive thing, and and mm. I was really a it only because I thought 
if people are being conscripted, we should all be conscripted. If it's a if it's a problem, we should all be not not you because you're born on the fifteenth, but you're born on the sixteenth, so you're okay. Um, yeah, that's was that was my deal. I just, I you know um um, but for lots of reasons, it was very divisive and and yeah. and I feel for Vietnam veterans for whatever Army, Navy, Air Force because yeah. they weren't given the due respect that other people they're sent there by their government and yes. and they've done the right thing mm. and and yet they haven't uh, received the respect the respect i, I no. think that mm. uh the mm. everybody who does that sort of thing uh, mm. deserves but anyway and and i think even often in his letters you know the futility of the war came through mm. sometimes too you know i guess yeah. and it was a tough war too my dad used to say oh he was in the Second World War, and he said, "Well, we could tell the difference, you know, when we're fighting the Japs, but you know, they didn't know with the North and South, you know." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, mm. and and a jungle warfare and tunnels yeah. and all the sorts of things. Mm. But but I think mm. uh, Australians are asked if they would like to go to a because uh, you can go to that VVV um, on mm. online, mm-hmm. and you'll find places where Vietnam there's 523 killed and. Yeah. Uh, um, apart from those who are injured and and affected for the rest of their lives, um, yes. but um, just go and you know say the last and, post and or lest we forget. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be wonderful because all the it's all at the same time. You know, the the last one's going to be at um, in uh, Scotland. Um, that was a fellow there is laid to rest with his mum and dad. That'll be a dusk service, but it's it's the same time. All over, yeah. So, so it'll be, yeah, very special, very special time. It'd be nice to be in Monto. It'll be, it'll be happening mm. right across Australia, Del, because yeah, that's right um, mm-hmm. seared into our hearts to lose a brother mm. or whatever. Mm. Oh yes, no, you don't, don't get over it. It's very, very tragic for the family, but oh, um, yeah, couldn't dear do anything dear. about it. But it's, it's, it's a you know, and these are services just to acknowledge those. Um, I think it's Vietnam a, soldiers who never returned home. Mm. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Good on you, Del. Okay, thanks, Maka. Thanks for that. See you. Okay. Hello. Yep. Hi, Maka. How are you? Good. That's good. My name's Anita Salisbury, and I'm calling in from the World Rowing Under Twenty Three Championships in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Oh, you're a little champion. Good on you. Ah, oh, wow. Tell me more. Oh, well, I just rang because um, the under-23 um, representatives for the Australian rowing team have made every final in every race, every what? A final. Wow. Anita, what's your role? Um, oh, well, I'm a parent um, and I'm over here with my son and his pair partner. Um, but otherwise, we're just here to support the um, Australian crew and coaches and it's just been an absolutely outstanding um, campaign um, to make every A final. And I just know that you follow a bit of rowing. I thought you mm. may be interested to hear that. So oh, yeah. we had some finals today and um, we've got some more tomorrow and got a couple of country kids in there, which is always nice, kids from the bush that are on a world um, stage. So, yeah, so it's, um, it's going really well. And it's very, very interesting country um, to be amongst uh, while we're rowing in a very, very good course, I would like to add. Yeah, well, the rowing courses around the world are, are very, I don't know why, it's maybe because some are set in the hills. And Tell us about Bulgaria. Anita, have you been there before? 
No, no, definitely um, my first campaign over here. Um, we went, uh, landed and went into Sofia, um, where all the main international flights land, and spent a couple of days there. And, it, you know, it's, it's very interesting. It's just so old. Um, and it's, uh, you know, got the relevance of uh, war and the fact that it's been tried to be taken over many, many times over since before Christ. Um, and But, you know, they're building their country back up and the people are obviously very resilient and um, you can, you know, just it's just a very, very interesting and complex um, place to be amongst. And especially we're here for, you know, seven or eight days. So we've immersed ourselves and then we drove from Sofia down to Plovdiv uh, in our hire car, which is a very interesting experience. And um, Plovdiv is um, an amazing European country. Uh, it's amazing architecture and they've got a huge focus on building um, building their city uh, to become a very interesting um, destination. Anita, will we see some of these under-23s maybe at the Olympics? Um, I'm not really sure about I think they're a little bit young because um, a lot of the older rowers are the campaigners for the next Olympics mm. um, and the under-23s are, you know, will be the next ones up, hopefully, all going to plan. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's a good, it's, it's a good, strong future for Australian rowing and um, the sponsorship that's been behind it to keep it on its feet and, the, you know, just the logistics of having to train in Italy for two weeks before they fly them all to Bulgaria and, um, and get boats across Europe to train them. And, um, yeah, so I think... I think there's some very, very strong um, contenders for the future there and, and certainly the evidence is when you're making A finals and you're coming all the way from Australia. So very, very exciting. So who pays for all that? Is, is this Gina paying for a lot of this? or? Well, <laughs> yes, um, thanks to Gina. Um, uh, you know, I think there is a certain aspect of it that um, children have to... Um, or, you know, under-23s pay for a bit of it themselves as well. Mm. Um, I know that um, there's been a few GoFundMe pages and my son's a singer, so he had a concert and um, parents' hands in pockets. But overall, um, great sponsorship coming from Hancock um, Prospecting to keep the sport alive and um, a huge investment um, to keep that going. And, and I think, you know, the results are paying for the fact that the sponsorships there to show the confidence in the sport. And what a mighty thing to do. I mean, I've always, you know, look back and think, gee, I wish I'd have done rowing at school. We couldn't do rowing at school. But it's a great sport and it's you're out in the environment and, um, you know, you travel the world, as you say. It's a, it's a really international sport, isn't it? Truly international. It is. And, and it's a very, you know, it's not just about brute strength. You've got to be calm and you've got to be able to be consistent and comes down to a lot of fine motor skills as well as the fact that you've got to have some good quads to push yourself down the river and, and the race my son was in today you know the size of the English um, the team they're just monsters and and highly high performance um, trained and these two young fella Aussie blokes um, you know giving it to them 
And, uh, yeah, so it was very interesting. And Italy was right there. And there was only um, 0.7 between first, second wow. and third, all gold, silver, bronze. Yeah, so right. and we've got uh, – anyway, so very interesting. I thought you'd be interested. Oh, and, I am. Um, and we're, we're very fortunate to be over here. Australia's very interested, Anita. Good on you. Nice to talk to you, Anita. Where are you from in Australia? Uh, from Monto in central Queensland. Oh, love Monto. Yeah. yeah. I love Monto. Yeah, and we've got a – yeah, and we've got a young girl rowing in the single skull tomorrow by the name of um, Grace Cipher, and she's from Dingo in central Queensland. So we've got a go, couple of little bush Go, Gracie. Yeah, and she's, she's a very, very um, strong contender. So if anyone gets on the World Rowing website tomorrow, um, we've right. got a lot of finals and a lot of Australians coming down. Good on you, Anita. Talk to you again. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, Macca. Bye. See you, bye. Mick says, uh, Mac, I thought you and the public would like to know that we attended the Be Visible We Count um, <clears throat> rally at Woodburn, Northern Rivers, for the smaller communities up this way that feel left out. MPs Janelle Saffin and Kevin Hogan and others attended to show support. A drive around any of these towns, including Lismore, will show the full extent of the crisis families are living under. No internal walls, substandard accommodation, tents, cars and pods, if you're lucky. Some shots of people still in caravans and inside of a friend's kitchen. Thanks for a wonderful program, Macca, says Mick Barr. Thank you, Mick. Well, we're going to call into Yukai. We can't go everywhere. We're going to call into Yukai <clears throat> next Thursday after lunch and before that Mullumbimby uh, in the morning um, to say good day. Don't come and say good day. Jenny says... Uh, Last Sunday, you spoke to a lady in Queensland who was organising beanies for winter. I thought you might like to know that your fellow ABC radio presenter, Stan Shaw, is knitting a beanie and is running an ABC rug up for winter knitting appeal. As Perth is experiencing a rather cold winter, like all of us, it's very appropriately titled Keep Perth Warm This Winter. I challenge you, says Jenny. You mean me, Jenny? No, see, Stan's giving us a bad name. He's... It's, it's terrible. Now I'll have to knit. I challenge you to pick up some knitting needles and knit something, Ian. I enjoy your program like many others. Keep it up, says Jenny Nelson. Well, I'll do it. For, I'll send it to Stan and he can wear it when I finish. How long did it take to knit a beanie, Kel? Would it take, if you're slow like me, a couple of months? <laughs> dear, dear, dear. Uh, Mick D'Angelo Mick uh, says... Love to meet you last Sunday at Burley. Oh, he was the bloke taking all of it. He had a great camera and he sent us um, he sent us um, some sticks and he's sending a pattern. I'd love to see that. We might put some of that up on Facebook. It's a really lovely morning uh, at an OB, especially at Burley. It was right on the coast and you look out and as the sun came up and there were stars still out and the moon, I think the moon was coming up. It was a hello, a late-breaking email here from John. Thank you, John. Um, I rang from a phone box beside the Leichhardt, Leichhardt Hotel in Tarim this morning, says Andrew Lip. Couldn't get through. Big weekend in Tarim last weekend. The radio was on, well-supported. My mate Troy and I drove through the showgrounds yesterday through literally millions of dollars worth of goosenecks and trailers, big American-built trucks and horse flesh. It's wonderful, it's wonderful how much these events pump into the local economy. Well done to the Show Society and Rodeo Committee, says Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. 
I just thought you might like to know that Dorigo's local paper, says Kath Black, finished last week. It had been in the local family for years. Father died, son ran it, but it had to close as parts of the press broke and because it was so old they couldn't get it fixed. So all the machinery has gone to a museum in Canberra. Thought you might like to do a story on it. Maybe we'll... Well, maybe we're all broke and we'll go to a museum somewhere. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.